0: Arts respectfully acknowledges the Kawishpa Kawiakna, also known as Kawia Band of Indians, and all nine sovereign bands of Kawia people who have stewarded this land throughout the generations and continue to steward this land for all future generations.
1: Idlewild Arts Foundation is proud to present One World, One Idlewild, the series, in conversation with Pamela Jordan. The series brings together thought leaders, creatives, influencers, and changemakers highlighting the work of citizen artists whose careers and lives have been shaped by the transformative power of art.
0: Today, I'm speaking with Sam Shaltain and Trung Lee of 180 Studio, a global design collaborative dedicated to advancing people's understanding of the future of learning and what it requires. Sam Shaltaine's writings about his work have appeared in both magazines and newspapers, including The New York Times, Washington Post, and USA Today. A former speechwriter for each of President Obama's U.S. Secretaries of Education, Sam has also written for Oscar and Grammy Award winning artists. A periodic contributor to CNN, Sam is the author or co author of seven books, a co producer of the PBS documentary film. 180 Days, Hartsville, and co-creator of the 10-part online film series, A Year at Mission Hill. Trung Lee's work has yielded awards from Chicago, Illinois, and national chapters of the American Institute of Architects during his 25 plus years career. Lee's projects have been published in such periodicals as Architectural Record, World Architecture News, and Edutopia. His collaboration with Bruce Mao resulted in the publication The Third Teacher, a cabinet of wonders on how design can transform the ecology of learning. Lee blogged for Fast Company and is a frequent speaker at the national and international venues. In 2010, Lee launched The Third Teacher Plus, a multidisciplinary design think tank that treats the future of teaching and learning as a living question. In 2014, Lee co-founded Wonder by Design. In 2018, he founded 180 Studio with Sam Charlton. Sam and Lee, thank you so much for speaking with me today.
2: Thank you so much for having us,
3: Pam. Yeah, totally. Thank you for having us.
0: Now, I'd like to spend some time talking about your book, Seed and Spark, but to understand why you've written this particular book, let's start with a bit about your backgrounds sam you're an educator but you have also been a political speech writer how has your background in education and your front row seat to politics led you to what you're doing today
2: so i've been in education my whole adult life my first job out of college was teaching at a public university in beijing china and then I taught English and history in the public and private schools of New York City. And I would say what initially attracted me to the field is what keeps me in it, which is education is the space where people of all different backgrounds and ages come together to try to forge some common meaning out of something. And I find that endlessly Fascinating. And now, in the work that I get to do with Lee, you know, we work with schools and communities all over the world, thinking about the nexus between the physical environment,
3: the uh,
2: invisible cultural assumptions of a community, the sometimes unarticulated hopes and aspirations that a group of people may have. So, in that sense, the time that I spent during the Obama administration as a speechwriter for both of his Secretaries of Education, it was very interesting to be entrusted with what to some degree is the most valuable tool of the Secretary of Education, which is the bully pulpit. You have a national platform in which to elevate and prioritize Um, things within the field of education so what was really interesting for me since I would say first and foremost I really feel that I'm a storyteller was trying to bring that spirit of storytelling to what can also be a messy kind of secondary option of sausage making (laughs) Uh, and it was a fascinating experience and I am certainly happier in the space that Lee and I now find ourselves in.
0: Well, we're going to get to that because it's a pretty interesting space. So Lee, in your background, you are an architect by profession. And during your 20 plus years with the firm Cannon Design, you were credited as the pioneer for their education practice. Why did education become such a passion of yours?
3: Hmm. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting description. Did you get that from them? (laughs) <laughs> is, that, is that an old profile that you dug up? That, that that's written in stone, my friend. Yeah, but you know, say, Pam, you were part of that journey that I was on, right? When we when we were involved in working with Bruce Smile, um and at that point, just the beginning of a questioning of um, how should we use design. Uh, how do we leverage design um, to potentially change um, learning, the conditions for learning, um, and and certainly the focus on the environment itself? Um, but you know, I, I still remember one one of the one of the lunge that I was with uh, Bruce Bruce Mao, and and he 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 was embarrassed of being accused by a younger designer being old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and he kind of caught himself like, wait, wait, you calling me, Bruce Mao, old fashioned? <laughs> right. But, but it did, it did cause me to kind of think like, wow. Yeah. The entire profession of architecture is actually quite old fashioned. Right. It hasn't changed in quite a while. Um, it, it, it is a very much a, a philosophical search for beauty in a way. Right, and and I think that there was there was a there was a point where it was really uh, focused on the human conditions, but um, there was a point where it's not. Um, and so the 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 idea of, of uh, finding myself in the space of um, learning and in education was was there there was such um, a refocusing on the idea that even though we have a system, we have a, 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 a 20th, 20th century um, system for learning that we're starting to find ourselves that for the most part um, it is very much against the human conditions of how most of us learn. right? So there, there was a revisiting um, in, in its totality um, and, and obviously potentially manifested in a very different physical environment. And so, what 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 I turn away from was the more traditional practice of architecture, and was just really drawn into the conversation that most teachers and educators were having, you know, in in the context of Howard Gardner putting out uh, the idea of multiple intelligence, um, you know, just lots of conversation and language that was really forcing us to um, start to dismantle this system. Um, of efficiency that we had built um in in the in the way that we think about education and learning so that that's what drawn me into into this the work um, and certainly it's, it is the work that sam and i are continuing to do um, and and you know I, I think that that's that's still kind of a wandering path for us um, because what's what makes it so excitement is um, what's so exciting is that we're, we're still responding to the challenge, right because because we, we we don't have all the answers yet.
0: So in 2018, you both co-founded 180 Studio. What is 180 Studio? What do you do? How would you describe it?
2: So because Lee is an architect, half of the work that we do is literal, School and building design in communities around the world. and And because, as he said, um, his design work must always be preceded by really kind of a deep preparatory ethnography of listening and reflecting back and clarifying what the what the most deeply held aspirations of the community are. In that work, there's still a clear role for me to play. Um, But because I'm not an architect, um, and because Lee has other designing muscles that he likes to exercise, the other half of our work is really relying on different forms of media to elevate stories that might help either provide a breadcrumb trail, for the reader or the watcher, or certainly in the best case scenario to set the conditions for epiphany. So in that sense, whatever we're doing, whether it's a book like Seed and Spark or a documentary film series, like some that we're working on right now, or a a new um, master plan for a school in Shanghai, um, the common thread is we're trying to create the greatest likelihood that the greatest number of people start to think and feel differently about this thing that we've all thought and felt the same way about for so long.
0: Lee, would you add anything to that? I think that the,
3: the the last four years have brought about a different perspective, <laughs> to um, a sense of urgency, right, uh, relative to identity and origin stories, um, cultural and and racial identities, um, and I think that just add to um, how much more aware and appreciative that we must be in the way that we have. Com- Engagement and and conversations with communities that we work with, um, and 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 so I think it, you know, it's upon us to to be, um, to just to be more knowledgeable and to be um, more aware, um, and and more importantly to sort of double down on the idea of um, urgent patience in which we know that we can make small mistakes but we can no longer make big mistakes Um, and then it's also point toward the fact that we that we live in the midst of climate change we live we live in the recognitions that um we cannot we can no longer just consider the planet resources for us to use um or to somehow find you know a magical balance in which we're Constantly think of the plan as just, just resource for us to use. So, I, th- I think all of that just add to um, you know a level of challenge, um, but you know constantly hopeful that um, that we continue to find communities that are that want to engage with us and collaborate with us. In in tech, taking on you know face on some of these challenges that's facing them, right? So I think part of our work is just to bring a sense of structure and hope um, to the, the to the opportunity of creating something new. Um, I think that's somewhat anchor the work at One Eighty Studio more than anything.
0: So let's talk about one of those projects. You have each uh, written and co-authored multiple books. In 2020, you released the book Seed and Spark. I read the book, or perhaps I should say I reviewed the book as a PDF. When I received the hard copy, it felt like a completely different experience. I was able to go deeper into the examples and I had to be disciplined to finish a page or even a section. Explain how this book is organized.
2: So we we set out two years ago, um, to write this book based on an initial question, which was, what are the irreducible elements of a really healthy learning environment? We didn't know where that would lead. And it's kind of funny to say now, but we didn't know that it would lead to nature, but of course it would lead to nature. So it's worth saying that was a surprise to us. But once we arrived there, and once we became a little bit more aware of the the tracks that had been laid down by people before us, identifying the central design principles of living systems. and, And once we saw the universal applicability of them, I mean, for example, the fact that living systems depend first and foremost on identity, information, and relationships. That sounds like the language of schooling um, in a good sense. So once we realized that, then the question was, well, how can we demonstrate the ubiquity of these principles? And and that was what led us to think, well, what if the book was was divided up into seven chapters one for each principle of a living system. And each chapter had an opening essay, why are we talking about identity? (laughs) Why does this even matter? An example from the world of art, um, an example from the world of science, uh, an interview with a person whose whole life and work was really dedicated to that principle and its being alive in the world. And then a case story of a community that whether they were directly aware of it or not, were in this regard living out that principle in their daily culture and way of being. And so what we hope is that that structure gives people a lot of different ways to surf this material. It's possible, for example, to surf it linearly, chapter one, chapter two, page two, page three. But it's also possible to just slalom all over the hill. Um, And either way, we hope yields the same conditions for epiphany. Um, But I think what Lee can speak to even more so are the really rich ways in which the book's visual layout uh, makes what I just described even more
3: possible. Mm. But you, you did describe a challenge that um, from, from visual, I, 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 um, I didn't come out with a clear answer, which was how, how do we create a visual understanding of the seven principles Right. And, and so um, there, there's an immediate sense of, yeah, it's a Venn diagram and it's all equal you know, and, and quickly discover that. No, it's not like if we're going to. Well, in some way, have an understanding that there's no way you can diagram um, in a way that we understand complexity of those the seven principles and how they the essence is the relationship among all of them. Right there, there is kind of that quantum smear about those seven principles, rather than the linear aspects of one leads to another, um, which which led to like finding just understanding that there there is the text language, right, mm-hmm. but there is also the potential of a visual language as well, and if we somehow can um, add a layer of the metaphorical aspects of the visual, it would just bring the richness um, and and like amplify the complexity of the seven principles. And it, it's, I, I just thought like when when Sam talked about the idea that yeah, we could illustrate each one of the principles through an essential question essay, uh, through um, one aspects of the science and through an, a story about the arts and through the story about a community and through a story of a practitioner, that was like that that was the key, that was the key epiphany for me. Um and there's there's that level of richness um that the writing um just capture, you know, in so many different ways. Um, and and so I, I think that you know we 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 also on this I, I would say that I'm, I'm just lucky enough that every time that there is this point of questioning more than the practice, um, I, I somehow find myself involved in this kind of research project. You know, third teacher certainly was was one of that. Um, and and Pam, I just still remember running workshops on the third teacher project with with your students back at the Chicago Academy for the Arts. Um, and and so you were you 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 were part of that sort of searching journey, I think. And for me, looking back at the beginning of Seed and Spark, you know, we were beginning on this journey of just thinking because of the opportunities that was in front of us, of just wanting to learn more, right? Before before we applied it to the work that we were actually doing, and and certainly our journey back to Vietnam. Um, because of of a simple text that you had sent to me, uh, <laughs> sitting sitting in a conference room in, in L.A., led us to that work. Right? I mean, it's just crazy uh, how there is kind of this spiraling connection, um, center around um, just a mindset of of always wanting to be curious and and to wonder, um, and and to con- continually questioning. Um, the work that we were doing and the intentions and also recognizing that what else do we not know in order to to do the work that we're in the process of doing
0: it the book is so beautiful um let me see if i'm saying this section right um i think it's go big is one and then go younger and and you know you have even more resources there um, it's just so much that this book, I'm sure, will will for those who who get it, it'll just stay in the forefront of everything you have because there's so much there's so much to revisit. And I also really love that you released it as a PDF for free, right? Really, this idea of access for anyone. Um, and that's really lovely. But I have to say the physical book is, is just is stunning. It really is. It was an experience just opening it. One of the things, I, another thing that I also loved about it, there are all these quotes through it that are so provocative. Um, one, one statement in the book says, knowing what we now know, we can no longer do what we now do. To do so is educational malpractice. That's just that's just it just runs through your mind with everything, everything that, you know, um, I, I just love the way the book is laid out. You're listening to One World, One Wild, the series presented by Idlewild Arts Foundation. My name is Pamela Jordan. We'll be right back.
1: Idlewild Arts Academy is an independent boarding arts high school whose mission is to change lives through the transformative power of art. Located just two hours inland from Los Angeles and San Diego and one hour from Palm Springs, the school sits on 205 acres of forested land in the San Jacinto Mountains. Academy students receive a challenging college preparatory academic curriculum while engaging in pre-professional training in their chosen arts discipline. The school is also home to its world-renowned summer program that serves children starting at age 5 through adults age 95. Idlewild Arts believes that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity, no matter the ultimate expression, hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. To learn more, visit IdlewildArts.org. Use code OneWorld2021 to receive a $50 discount to the 2021 Summer Program. Quantities are limited, restrictions apply. Please consider supporting the students of Idawild Arts and visit IdaWildArts giving to make a gift today.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Sam Shaltain and Trung Lee of 180 Studio, a global design collaborative dedicated to advancing people's understanding of the future of learning and what it requires. When people visit um, the website seedandspark.live, right, uh, they are invited to join the expedition. Can you explain what the expedition is for Seed&Spark?
2: Yeah, so... So again this this whole project began with a question and and it has thus far yielded a book and a book is a good vehicle it's a good container for lots of people and lots of ideas and and so for everybody that likes this container and this vehicle we hope it's useful but of course th- the, the the ongoing question for us is what other vehicles, what other containers might there be that will facilitate greater seeding and sparking? So the expedition is our effort to use 2021 as an intentional group response to the madness of 2020 in the service of searching together for a new story for humanity that uses nature as a guide. So in other words, what would happen if a bunch of people from around the world carved out some time to teach and learn from one another um, about, many of the ideas and many of the wise voices that are contained in Seed&Spark in order to both get better at showing up in our own lives and spheres of influence, both personally and professionally, and also maybe to imagine and execute on some shared group work that would not otherwise exist in the world if we didn't come together. So we're we're only a week in, but we've been really pleased that thus far, we've, we've found community and people stretching across four continents. Um, and we've begun the process of just kind of getting to know one another and starting to think about how we set up a virtual workspace into which we can all kind of look forward to returning and learning in together.
0: So I do invite people to go to that website, seedandspark.live, uh, and become part of the expedition. It really is. I know it's just a weekend. Uh, I'm enjoying it, meeting the people. It starts with uh, the music and offerings of others. Uh, it really is creating a community, and it's it's wonderful to be a part of it. Um, I know of, of projects that you're you're doing around the world, or have done around the world. I believe that Uh, In the past, maybe when uh, you were with Wonder by Design, I think you did a project uh, for for Turkey, um, looking at their middle schools. Um, You're currently working in Vietnam. You really have projects. Tell us about some of the communities around the world that are creating these learning spaces that are human-centered. Just some examples that we can understand what's going on around the world.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll start with um, the project in in Vietnam, and and again, um, you know, it was it was through your your connection. Um, it was somewhat magical that um, you know in that. But in one particular day, that um, that that client, that friend now, that partner now, um, that lived eight thousand miles away, just happens to be in the same <laughs> hotel <laughs> that, that that I was in, uh, and Sam was also there but um, that simple text connected us, you know? So um, it's, it's so interesting because, um, you know, Tan Bui, um, parents left Vietnam in the same conditions that my parents and, and myself left Vietnam, um, born in Australia and then came back and, and sort of found himself in uh, his origin story to say that um, even though I'm, I'm Australian, um, Vietnam is kind of home for me um, so, um, we've been working with with Than Bui over the last three years, and, um, you know, I, I think that one of the essential questions that, that he was asking and putting forth to, to all of us was uh, how can we leverage the arts uh, to help this very young country um, and a very, um, you know, new generation in Vietnam um, discover and appreciate and embrace 4,000 years of, of arts, uh, and culture, um, in the context of 21st century, um, modern society, right? So, so that sense of, of, um, um, of pride and, and identity, um, you know, how, how do we, how do we leverage the arts to do that? Um, and, and it resulted in, you know, kind of the first, um, partnership with uh, Reggio Children in bringing the Reggio approach to Vietnam um, and and uh, Little M's, which is um, um, a Reggio approach um, and, and partner with Reggio Children opened up uh, maybe a year ago in Ho Chi Minh City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next project that we're working on is a kind of an integrated um, city um, that involves um, not only a K twelve um, academies, um, but also involve a um, two years, um, you know, um, post high school college um, program. Um, the arts is is also there, uh, and then uh, community center and sports complex is also there. All all in one complex. So, I think that it's just one of these. Um, you know, really grateful projects that, that we're a part of. Um, and um, we're not only there to, um, to think about the physical environment, but we're also part of a larger team to literally design um, the curriculum uh, and, and the learning approach um, as well. Um, so it, I think it, it's, it's, um, it's just such a unique opportunity to kind of, you know, have the ability to kind of design the entire ecosystem um that's grounded in you know what does it mean to be Vietnamese um and and um what are what are all the fundamental questions that we need to ask in in trying to uncover and recover some aspects of that
2: i would add um and and by the way the example that lee just talked about and the one that i'm about to talk about are two of the case stories that are featured in Seed and Spark. So if there are things about these stories that seem interesting, there's a fuller treatment of it within the, the pages. Um, I'm, so first I just wanna say what excites me so much about the future, what has me feeling optimistic in spite of everything, is that as somebody who gets to work in all of these different circles, I know that I'm a little more tuned in than the average bear to like what's happening in the world. And even in that position, I feel like I'm constantly learning about new places and new people and new communities that are doing great work. So like, even I can't keep up. Um, And so one of the ones that I'm most excited about is uh, public charter school in Chicago called the Academy for Global Citizenship. And the reason I'm so excited about it, and it's actually the very last story in in the book on purpose, is because this is a school that is primarily concerned with ensuring that the next generations of Americans have deep within them a real... um, self-awareness and love of self, love of uh, others, and love of the natural world. Um, that being said, it's a challenge. They're they're in an industrial section of Chicago in a converted barrel factory where they've done the best they can with the urban, uh, like the concrete parking lot next to them. Like they've got rainwater and wind turbines, but it's still a parking lot, you know? So as they say, it's hard to, it's hard to have kids fall in love with nature if they're never in it. Um, but what they're in the midst of doing, they've been able to attract some state level funding. They found a six acre lot that is right in the middle of the city in a you know kind of otherwise um, neglected area, and they are designing the literal school of the future uh a uh, campus that they feel will be a living school with chickens and a working farm and a public-facing farmers market and a net positive uh it footprint and and this is the key thing They're doing all of this on the same per pupil expenditure that any other school in Chicago public schools would have. And this is not some place that is only going to be possible because some gazillionaire gave a gazillion dollars. This is a school that will be designed on the same per pupil expenditure budget, which by the way, is threadbare, that any other Chicago public school would have. And so what excites me about that is AGC is gonna make it impossible for the rest of us to say, well, that's great, but that wouldn't work here. Well, if if AGC can pull this off in downtown Chicago on a CPS budget, then I'm sorry, the rest of us need to get in line and do the same.
0: You know, selfishly, I want to briefly talk about leadership. Certainly I find myself in, in the role of president having to think forward, wanting to think forward, wanting to have vision um, for the institution. You've talked a lot about human centered learning environments all around the world. Talk to me about some of the characteristics you see in leaders of these endeavors. Certainly you have that in Tan So what what are your insights about the leaders of these endeavors?
3: I think that what, what, what I see um foremost in in the the leaders that are doing this work um, is is not so much talking about innovation but just the authentic way in which there is a greater sense of love for people right and and the people in which this particular leader is serving um, and and leading um, and and that that to me seems to be kind of the the trait um, that seems to just surface fairly quickly, right? Um, and then and then uh, obviously there's there's other other traits um, and visions and ambitions that follows, but there is that genuine sense of um, of love for the people within that own particular community um so for me that that's what i that's what i look for um but certainly that's something that's consistently to be the patterns of some of the amazing uh, institutional leaders that we're working with
2: i would agree with that and add the the common thread that i see is great leaders recognize that the work requires urgent patience so they know that the changes we all want need to happen as soon as possible because there's kids in those buildings right now and they deserve our very best um, and the business of shifting to a new normal takes time it takes because of course, kids pass through, but adults are the keepers of the culture, and and so until until the until the more permanent stewards of an organizational culture can explore change and get comfortable with the new water temperature in which they're swimming, <laughs> um, then the the ultimate changes you're gonna wanna see in that water are just not gonna happen. So there's a mixture of recognizing the urgency with which all of the work needs to unfold and the patience in knowing that um, group, group shifts take time.
0: So as we close, what is your advice to those who wish to make change in and for their communities, but they don't know where to start?
2: So um, one of the real nuggets of wisdom that comes from Seed and Spark comes from Stephanie Pace Marshall, who's a lifelong educator of 50 years and a really just a remarkable person. And one of the things that she says is that, you know, transformation first and foremost is an inside job. So I would say to some degree, the most valuable thing I've learned personally in the process of writing Seed and Spark is that how we are at the small scale is how we are at the large scale. So the problem I think is that we think in order to begin, I've gotta be doing something important out there. Whereas actually the work is right here. The primary work rests with each of us as imperfect individuals, hopefully doing Our best every day to get a little bit better at how we show up in the world and what we model for those closest to us.
0: Lee, you have any advice?
3: Yeah, I I would second that the work is your immediate relationship and surrounding. Right. It starts it starts with you and then it starts with how you um, treat the person next to you. And if we can all do that simultaneously at the same time the world would change. I think Tsitya Khan said that, right? It's so, um, you know, be be the butterfly that flaps the wings and amazing things will be happening around the world.
0: To quote Seed and Spark, it's not the world that makes us wonder, it's our wondering that makes the world. Sam Tain and Trung Lee, thank you so much for talking with me today.
1: Thank, thank you, Pam. Pam.
0: My guests today have been Sam Shaltain and Trung Lee of 180 Studio, a global design collaborative dedicated to advancing people's understanding of the future of learning and what it requires. I spoke with Sam and Lee via Zoom on January 29th, 2021. We'll be right back with my next guest, Sedona Skye Duffy, a musical theater major at Idaho Arts Academy.
1: Idlewild Arts Academy is an independent boarding arts high school whose mission is to change lives through the transformative power of art. Located just two hours inland from Los Angeles and San Diego and one hour from Palm Springs, the school sits on 205 acres of forested land in the San Jacinto Mountains. Academy students receive a challenging college preparatory academic curriculum while engaging in pre-professional training in their chosen arts discipline. The school is also home to its world-renowned summer program that serves children starting at age 5 through adults age 95. Idlewild Arts believes that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity, no matter the ultimate expression, hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. To learn more, visit IdlewildArts.org. Use code ONEWORLD2021 to receive a $50 discount to the 2021 summer program. Quantities are limited. Restrictions apply. Please consider supporting the students of Idlewild Arts and visit IdlewildArts slash giving to make a gift today.
0: From Idlewild Arts Foundation in Idlewild, California, I'm Pamela Jordan with One World, One Idlewild, the series. Today, I'm speaking with Sedona Skye Duffy, a musical theater major at Idlewild Arts Academy. Sedona Skye fell in love with performing at the tender age of 10 while living in Bermuda, where she grew up. Her passion has brought her to Idlewild Arts Academy, where she is known as a true triple threat. Sedona Skye, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. So let me start at the what I always call the very beginning, and that has to be your beautiful name, Sedona Sky. It's unusual, and you know I could just see it in lights, right? Where'd your name come from?
4: Yeah. So my parents went to Sedona, Arizona, before I was even like thought of or anything like that, um, before they were planning to have another child because I do have an older brother, and they fell in love with it there. My mom's very spiritual. And Sedona, Arizona is known for being a place with big energies within the red rocks and all of that. And then they saw the skies at night because it's also known for its bright, like red skies that are really, really beautiful throughout the day. And also there's known for lots of colors in the sky and things like that. So they said if they ever had a daughter, they would name her Sedona Sky because they thought that the place was so beautiful and they fell in love with it.
0: Of all the answers in the world, that is not what I expected. I wish the audience could see you here because you have this beautiful painting behind you with all of these colors running through it. So, you know, I can just see them sort of speaking that into your life and all those colors continue. But that that's, that's just a beautiful story. That's a beautiful story about your name. Um, you grew up in Bermuda and... Uh, okay so i I looked on the internet a little bit and I found out that when you were ten years old, you were named Little Miss Paradise Yes <laughs> <laughs> that's great. um but then I read that you never really thought that you wanted to perform, you like to dance, you like to do things, but you never really thought about being on a stage and you said and you know, and one day that changed How, how did that change i mean what what drew you to the stage suddenly?
4: yeah, so I started out dancing since i was 18 months and that was something that's always been in my life but it was more of just a pastime and it wasn't something i was too serious about and then i ended up moving studios when i was around 8 and i started doing their shows which were more they incorporated musical theater and they incorporated all these different aspects of performing and i just fell in love with being on the stage with that sense of energy and not just the sense of all the time examinations and things like that I fell in love with the performance aspect of it and the energy from the audience and I did my first real show when I was 10 it was called um, South Pacific and I played in Ghana in it who is a little mixed girl and I just fell in love with that feeling and then I've been doing it ever since then
0: That's really beautiful. You know, I just love that about all the students at Idlewild Arts. It's that, that you're you're pursuing uh, the, your passion and how it leads you to this door. So you wanted to leave home at just 14 years old. You convinced your parents <laughs> to let you go to a boarding school, and that wasn't Idlewild Arts. So what was your experience? It was what you wanted, but what was your experience?
4: So in terms of boarding school, it was something I always wanted to go to since I was 10. I always wanted to Do more performing arts because in Bermuda, there's just not really a big scene for it. And convincing my parents actually wasn't that hard because my brother went before me. So he went, so it was like easier for them to be okay with me going. And I ended up going to a school in New York for my first year of high school, which my parents were perfectly okay with. I did apply to other schools and ended up choosing New York. I wasn't allowed to apply to Idlewild, but um, uh, I went to New York because it's only an hour and a half away from. Um, Bermuda by plane. My mom works back and forth between Bermuda and New York. So it was easy. They could see me all the time. And I really did love my experience. There It was an amazing school and I loved all my friends. I still speak to all of them. And it was definitely a learning opportunity, but it was a very heavy academic school. And that was kind of what it was known for. It was feeding kids into Ivy Leagues and things like that to focus more on like humanities and subjects like that. And for me personally, it just wasn't what i wanted in the end i had focused more on dance there not musical theater and i just felt like for what i wanted in the long run it was not the place for me and so i didn't end up applying to ida wild until may and i didn't come visit the school until may either so it was really really late in my freshman year that i finally made the decision to switch and i remember i came on the day where seniors announce where they're going to college and I had another girl here, Arielle, who is from Bermuda, so my mom spoke to her parents and I think that made them feel a bit better. And we came, we saw the community and how everyone was uplifting and where these people were going in their future, because that was ultimately why I wanted to leave my other school. And it was just such a sense of community and my parents felt safe with me up here. They felt safe with everything. And so I did convince them because at first it was just a visit. I did my audition. I did get in and I convinced them and then they ended up letting me come here.
0: That's uh, that's beautiful. You know, there when you're pursuing your passion and you're happy, you know, at, at, at a young age, there's so much more you can do than feeling like you're fitting in a box and you're doing well. So, you know, I would imagine your time here has just created more opportunities for you, not not fewer or a narrower path. So I've watched you perform many times over the years. And I, I kind of tease you a little bit, but I'm actually very serious. When it comes to the stage, you have what is very well known as the it factor that nobody really seems to be able to describe. Um, but you know, you're know, you a triple threat. You clearly have worked on your singing, your acting, your dancing. I just saw you over the weekend. At, which role were you playing, Roxy Hart or Velma? I can't remember. I do remember that, that scene ending in a, perfect split, you know, um, and all the dancing and singing. Um, but, but really, you know, I feel that so often when you're performing, you just draw the eyes, just draw to you because you're just giving off so much energy. So I guess my question is, what do you get from the audience and what do you hope the audience gets from you?
4: For me, I feel like the reason it's been so difficult because of COVID is because What I really felt like I get from the audience is their sense of energy and their emotions. Because when you're performing, you can feel it affecting other people in whatever way that is. And I feel like seeing that reaction from them, it really puts that into me as a performer and makes me build up what I'm doing when I'm performing live and create more authentic performances because people are right there and I'm reacting to them reacting. And what I really like to give to an audience is a story and a journey through whatever I'm doing, because I feel like in especially live theater, there's such a sense of giving and there's such a sense of vulnerability between performer and audience. And I really want to give people a story and just a journey and not just a song, a dance or a monologue.
0: If you're just joining us, my guest today is Sedona Skye Duffy, a senior musical theater major at Idaho Arts Academy. Sedona, I have met your parents that whom, whom I describe as awesome, uh, but they're both very accomplished and have very successful careers. Um, I know that your mom is an executive in a Fortune 500 company and I've been so impressed with her because she is really known for transforming teams and for diversity, equity, and inclusion. You are co-president of the Black Student Union here at Idlewild Arts and I'm just wondering what have you learned from your mother and from your own experiences as you have worked to create inclusive environments for all?
4: Yeah, so my mom works as the she's head of the her entire insurance company in the Bermuda sector and she's the first woman to run it and she's also the first black woman to run it as well which i feel like is an amazing accomplishment and with that i do see her own set of um of hardships that come with that and her own sets of choices that she has to make as a leader especially as a black female in such a honestly white male industry And being able to watch that and see how she deals with it, I think is something that has really passed on to me and how I deal with things. She's very calm. She's very much into having open conversation and really just discussing both sides of it. And as well now, she's working on a lot of um, diversity, equity and inclusion boards back home um, within all companies, not just her own. And she's chair and head of most of them. And so being able to see her do this work, it honestly gives me hope as her daughter, because I can see it in my authority figure in my life and see her doing the work. And that translates into me. And she also constantly sends me, I had one the other day, a little voice note, just like reminding of how we have to keep ahead and keep understanding and be empathetic to those around us in order for us to make strong change. And just having such a strong black woman in my life is something that I feel like I'm very fortunate to have. And just having somebody so successful in a position where maybe the world doesn't want her to be successful is something that's really just pushed me to keep going.
0: Thank you so much for for sharing that, uh, for sharing your story in that. I know that that will be very powerful to many people who listen to this. So it takes a lot to move away from home at a young age, but you've shown that if you have the passion, the drive and the dream that you can do it and you can do it successfully. So what is your advice to students uh, who who are incoming to Idlewild Arts? Let's let's take it very narrowly. To students who are coming into Idlewild Arts, what's your advice for them to get the most out of the experience?
4: My biggest piece of advice would be honestly, just to allow yourself to be present in your time here and allow yourself to be in the environment that you're in. I feel like Idaho Arts is such a community and such a bubble and you can come into this place and not worry about anything else that's going on around you and just create your art, be with your friends, be with your faculty. And it's just really important to allow yourself to be here. I think if you let the outside things stress you out and get to you, you're not gonna be able to get the most out of what people are giving you. And also to not only learn from your faculty, but from your students. I feel like I've honestly learned the most from my peers because everybody comes from such different places. Everybody has such different stories and families. And it's really interesting how much that goes into who we are as artists. And so allow yourself to be, you, be your story and bring that into a community
0: so you're graduating <laughs> <I am. laughs> this is really wonderful In just uh just maybe about six weeks or so may 2021 um what are your plans after high school
4: yeah so originally they've changed a little bit um <laughs> i was going to it's called arts ed in london and it's actually the number one school for musical theater it's andrew lloyd weber's school and that is where I was set on going, but right now I'm actually deciding again, I've changed my mind between Art ed and Howard University. I do have a scholarship to Howard and um, legacy through my mom. That's where my mom went to study business. And with everything going on right now in the world, I really, am trying to make the decision if I would like to attend an HBCU and really have that experience of being surrounded by other artists of color and working as an artist of color so right now I am deciding between those two schools, but in all I see, they're two great options. So I'm really glad that I have the opportunity to even have that choice to decide.
0: They are two great schools. I'll say to, well, I didn't go to, to Howard, but I'll say to all my Howard friends, H-U, <laughs> because that's <laughs> what I know they say. Mm-hmm. Sedona, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I know you're gonna be successful. I know you're gonna be on the stage and I'm gonna be right there to see you sitting in the front row. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Pam. My guest today was Sedona Skye Duffy, a musical theater major at Idlewild Arts Academy. I spoke with Sedona Skye via Zoom on April 16th, 2021. Join me next time when my guest is Jason Patera, head of school at the Chicago Academy for the Arts. Jason speaks about the misconceptions surrounding drugs and art making, how being an endurance athlete has shaped his views on educating students, and his popular TED Talk, Life at the Intersection of Excellence, Purpose, and Passion. I will also speak with Asul Serrano, a senior in Idaho Arts Academy's Creative Writing Department. Azul shares her experiences of a childhood fraught with illness and how writing brought her solace, hope, and healing. Please join us. Thank you for listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, a creation and production of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Executive produced by me, Pamela Jordan. Directed and produced by Rose Callella. Edited, engineered, and mastered by Justin Holmes. Graphic design by Mark Biley. Marketing and publicity by Wendy Winks. Marketing assistance by Rose Callella, Andrew Edwards, and Nick Ryan. Production and research assistance by Keith Miller. Creative consultation by Palencia Turner. Production support by Marianne Kent Stoll. Technical support by John Lawrence, Michael Quick, and Tom Wadbrook. Our theme song is Beaconing. It was composed and performed by the incomparable Marshall Hawkins.
1: Pamela Jordan was appointed president of Idlewild Arts Foundation in 2014. Prior to this position, she held the distinction of being the first female and first African-American head of school of the Chicago Academy for the Arts, where she held the position for 12 years. She currently serves on the boards of the California Association of Independent Schools, the Association of Boarding Schools, and Art Schools Network, and is on the Global Education Advisory Council for Shanghai Huair Collegiate School Kanshan. One World, One Idlewild, the series, is a product of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Any use of materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of Idlewald Arts Foundation is strictly prohibited.